Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 11. Let's share in God's good word together. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So it is a brand new day and a brand new sermon series. For the next five weeks, we are going to look at the ruthless elimination of hurry. Um, these words are from the book by that same name, uh, by John Mark Comer. And of course, uh, I love that name because that's my name, John Mark. Um, but he was really influenced by the same people that you've heard me talk about for years. John Ortberg and Dallas Willard. So in 2009, I flew out to Pasadena, California. I was working on my doctorate in ministry, and I wanted to know what it was to grow deeper in my spiritual life, and particularly uh, what church planters needed to be spiritually grounded to be able to survive the first years of church planting. And so with Dallas Willard at the front of the monastery down in Sierra Madre, um, just outside of Pasadena, I took these notes. And first he had us memorize Colossians 3, which I'm still working on. And then he said this, his hope for us this week was to never hurry again. Never hurry again. He says we can't relax until we're rested. And so as a part of this course, we had a 24-hour period of silence. And it changed my life. I've been forever changed by the time I spent with Dallas Willard and the time that I learned how to slow down and to be silent and to find myself in solitude Alone, but never alone, because God is with us everywhere we go. There's no need to be afraid or worried. And it's been really life-giving for me, and I've been trying to share that with you ever since um, this last decade, since 2009. And why is this so important? Well, the world changed quite a bit in 2007 with the introduction of the iPhone. I want you to think about this, particularly for our young people. It's so difficult for them. Maybe you know this already. The average iPhone user, they touch their phone 2,617 times a day. A day. Now, think about that. You are tied to your cell phone 2,617 times a day. That is a distracted life, which often becomes an anxious life, a depressed life, no life at all. So just ask yourself, rather than being um, a slave to your phone, right? Every time it dings or buzzes, you have to answer it or respond in, in some way as if it's your master. Maybe you don't even think of it that way anymore, but you don't really even think about it. it just, you just respond. It's just what you do. But what if that wasn't the case? What would your life be like if God touched your mind as frequently as you touch your phone? That. That's a pretty good question. What if 2,617 times a day 
your thoughts went to the love of God, the peace of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth that you are safe in God's good hands in this life and the next because you live in God's good kingdom. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done and is beautiful and peaceful and wonderful. But we still live also in the kingdom of this world. And the book on this world, well, it's hurry. That's not news to you, I'm sure. And hurry is a state of frantic effort in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. Now, it, it's okay to have some speed in your life. That, that's all right. But it's one thing to be in haste, to actually move quickly. It's another thing to be driven by this frantic response of, oh, am I good enough? What will happen if I don't? Oh, I'm going to feel badly if I don't respond to this text, this email, this conversation, this call, this article that I'm supposed to read, this Twitter feed. Maybe if I miss one of a thousand people's birthday on Facebook and all of a sudden, rather than being a help, it takes over your life. If you're not careful, you'll be too tired, too exhausted to live. So in my time with Dallas Willard, and as I looked back over um, Christian centuries, from the time of Christ through the Desert Fathers um, up to today, what we find over and over and over again, even before the smartphone in 2007, is that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. It just is. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. That's why you have the monastic movement in part is that they had to get away from the sinking ship of culture. They thought it too busy, um, too gossipy, too much in every other's business, that they actually needed to get away from the cities and, and all the people and all the gossip and all the stuff that happens so that they could just rest in the goodness of God and hear from God and carry the faith forward. Psychiatrist Carl Jung says it this way, Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement, right? Evil itself. It's really important. Now, hear this from psychiatrist Carl Jung. It is so important that we not yield to the master of hurry. But it takes courage. It is important to not be afraid of doing nothing. It's important not to be afraid of doing nothing. Now, I remember this. In college, I... Man, I was as busy as anybody. I, I go back and I look at my, my little calendar, my mortarboard, and oh my gosh, I'm, I'm exhausted just looking at it. I think from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed to the time I went to work and, and went to class and all those sorts of things, I was busy, busy, busy. And I thought that meant that I was important, important, important. But as I look back on my life now, some of the worst days in my life, the worst decisions I've made in my life were made in hurry. Some of the best friends in my life that I hurt because I was too busy for them, now that I'm 50 and not 20, I would never do again. There's not an accolade or grade more important than the friendships that I denied or delayed. And maybe if you look back on your life, you'll find that to be true for you as well. But there's this fear of doing nothing, of not being enough or not doing enough. And so we're driven into the busyness of life. So I remember the first time I drove out to Arcadia Lake. For those of you who don't live in Oklahoma, that's just a few miles east of here. 
And I remember taking a big legal pad and sitting down at the lake. There was nobody else there. It was early March. And it, it was cold, but I, I just I decided I had promised God and I felt called by Him that I was just going to stay there until I heard His voice. And boy, I was really afraid of all the things that I hadn't been thinking about for a long time. We were early in the church plant and I just, I needed some guidance. I needed to know where God wanted to take the church. And I had so many worries about, um, would we make it? Would we ever be able to buy land or build a building or have any staff or have anybody interested in, in being a part of this vision of being like the early church, fully committed, sold out, all in for the cause of Christ? In the first hour and a half, I didn't hear anything but worry. Real worry. I mean, and, and I, I want to be straight with you about this. That when you rest and, and you allow these things to come to mind, they do. They actually do. They are at war with your mind. Your, your bills and your mortgages and your fears, all of it comes. But Richard Foster says in his wonderful book, Celebration of Discipline, look, you don't have to be afraid of these things. Just write them down. Have a little yellow pad and just write them down. These are things I'm worried about, God. Just write them down. It's a form of prayer, actually. Yes, I'm worried about this. Yes, I'm worried about my kids. Or I'm worried about my parents. Or I'm worried about my spouse. Or I'm worried about my marriage. Or I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about today, COVID, whatever it may be for you. That's okay. Just write it down. But you don't have to be afraid of it. And about three hours into the day, after I've gotten all the worry out of me, I started to sense God's presence. I started to hear God speaking to me through the scriptures and just through a direct presence of his love and his kindness. That everything was going to be okay. But I did have to survive that first hour after hour of just the onslaught of all the worry that I hadn't wanted to think about. For years. I survived it. You can too. So the goal here, friends, is this. To do calmly and effectively with strength and joy that which really matters. That which really matters. You don't have to be so hurried that you can't hear God, that you can't do God's will, that you can't be at peace. You can relax. You can do exactly what God wants you to do. And if God has called you to it, you've got enough time to do it. So if you don't have enough time to do the things that you know you need to be doing, then you're probably doing too much. That's true for us as individuals. It's also true for us as a church. And a lot of people ask me, so Pastor Mark, how come, you don't, how come you guys aren't like other churches? How come you don't do this and this and this and this and this and have your youth group and your children and all these people do all this, 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 this and this? It's because we're too busy already. Most of what our people need is to rest. And, and the, the tragedy is, of course, that so often... When I give folks time to rest, they don't rest. They just fill up their life with other busyness because they're just trying to get by and not think about all the things they're trying not to think about. And, and you probably know this is true. The rates of anxiety and depression are at all-time highs. You can certainly see this with our children. And certainly with COVID, it has just skyrocketed over the last year, year and a half. Now, I saw an article come out this week, actually October 11th, um, from the Lancet Medical Journal. And they said that the cases of depression rose by 53 million souls globally. That's up 28%. Not just up a little, double digits. I mean, almost a third. That is huge. And then, of course, the cases of anxiety also rose by 76 million people. And you can see there was already so much anxiety in the culture. It's only up 26%, even though it's 76 million souls. 
Friends, we are living in anxious and depressing times and we can no longer afford, our health can no longer afford to try to push it down and just stay busy enough not to think about it. God is ready to help you and to bless you and to care for you and to carry you. Friends, this is so important. It's so important that we don't just push away the very things about who we're becoming, of the very people that we're becoming. So let me ask you, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Because that's the most important thing about you. John Mark Comer says it like this in his book. He says, why am I in such a rush to become somebody I don't even like? I mean, think about that. Aren't there things that you're just rushing to do that you don't even care about? Or, or that you're the kind of person that you're yelling at your kids to get in the car or you don't want to be late for this or find your soccer cleats or, hey, where's your basketball? Where's your jersey? Or whatever it is. Why am I in such a rush to become somebody I don't even like? That's a really good question. The first time I started to struggle with this was back in 1996, in a real way. I was teaching disciple Bible study, and a woman in my class named Deanne, she said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I thought to myself, oh, that'll preach. She's exactly right about that. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because he doesn't need to make you bad. He just keeps you distracted. Netflix, music. Your phone, scrolling, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, just stay distracted. This conversation, that TV show, sports, you name it. You see, sin and busyness, they have the same effect. They cut off connection to God, to other people, and to your own soul. If you're so busy, you don't even know how you're doing. You'll, you'll, you, haven't you asked people this? You say, oh, well, how are you doing? They're like, good, I think, just, you know, just busy. And you hear the exhaustion in their voice. I, no, I'm good, just, just, just busy. Because, you know, rather than being sick, right, you, you think it's bad to be sick, it's, somehow it's worse to be not busy in our culture. You hear people say, well, I'm working myself to death, or I'm, I'm seeing myself coming and going. Friends, we are in a hurry, sick society. It is okay to slow down. And we're going to talk more about Sabbath uh, in the coming weeks, um, probably the most ignored of the Ten Commandments. But it's, it's there for your good, friends. All God's commandments are there for your good. So the thing we have to do is we have to learn how to deal with the panic of not being busy. Because there really is a panic there. What will people think? What, what, you know, what, what, have, what would you say if somebody said, oh, I need to meet with you, and you knew that you were just tired, you just needed to rest? When's the last time you said to someone, you know, I'd love to, but I'm really tired. I think I'm going to need to take a nap at that time. Even if it's true, I think most of us are pretty reticent to say something like that. So for me, I'll tell you some things that have worked. Um, just north of here uh, in Wichita, about a little more than two hours away uh, from us, is the Spiritual Life Center of Wichita. Uh, it's a wonderful retreat center. And, and there, uh, it's, it's pretty basic. You have a room, a desk, a um, desk. Jesus on the cross, uh, your Bible, and, and that's pretty much it. And so as I was doing my doctoral work, I would often go up there and simply have my Bible uh, and a notepad uh, and do some reading and reflecting. If I was really, really lucky, I would get a, a room with a chair. I would, I would get a, a recliner and spent many hours in that chair visiting with Jesus. And it was just a wonderful, holy time. Uh, nothing special necessarily about Wichita, nothing more holy there than Oklahoma City. But here's the thing, 
I was able to drive those two hours in silence. I didn't make a phone call. I didn't take a phone call. I didn't turn on the radio. It was just me and my own thoughts. And silence, friends, actually means I didn't even talk to myself. I just was silent. And my experience is there's nothing in all the world that does me more good than silence. Of just having hours where I don't hear anything. And I just wait for the voice of God. And every time I hear it, every time I sense God's presence with me, it is just the most glorious, beautiful, life-giving thing imaginable. And I want to share that with you. Now, before you think it's like hard and arduous, it's, it's not actually. When I, I couldn't read anymore, I, I couldn't uh, get through my Bible anymore, I would go out for a walk. And because I wasn't in a hurry, because I didn't have an agenda, I could actually see God in the sun and the trees. I could, I could see the Lord's presence just through the everyday things of life. I could look at a tree and see God's beauty and majesty about something that's much older than I am, something that's been growing for maybe 100 or 200 years. And I looked at the root system and how it was connected to the other things of God through the earth and how we are all a part of this wonderful plan of God. And as I looked at the trees and I looked at the roots and I looked at the leaves, I'd also look up in the sky and I would just see the beauty of God's earth. And here's the thing, friends, it's there all along. I just hadn't slowed down enough to see it. So here's the thing, friends, hurry and love, they're incompatible. They simply cannot exist in the same place. Hurry and love are incompatible. Will you say that with me? Hurry and love are incompatible. And if you don't believe me, hear Apostle Paul. This is in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13. You know this. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And so often we read over this way too quickly. Love is patient, friends. Love is kind. But first, to be kind, you have to give it time. You, ha you have to be patient. Love is patient. And so think about this. We know that we have a generation now with smartphones that are really struggling with life, struggling with distraction. So it's an important moment in our church's history, in our culture's history, in the world's history, because you can't teach or share with your children something you don't have or don't know. You can't share with your grandchildren what you don't know, what you don't have. So they, where are they going to see this? Where are they going to look to if you don't have the ability to put your phone down or put your screen down or to stop working for a day or at least for a few hours? How are they ever going to know that it's okay to rest? That God made you to rest, to work, to play, and to rest. All three. And when you come to the other side of hurry, it's beautiful. There are deeper things there. There are deeper riches on the other side of hurry. Things that you can't know on this side of hurry. Things that the world does not and cannot know. Because it doesn't trust the world and themselves to God's love and care. There's a Japanese theologian that says it like this. God walks slowly because he's love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. 
It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds, since it is the speed of love. I think that's beautiful. It is slow, but friends, never forget, it is the Lord of all other speeds because it's the speed of love and God is love. Think about what the scripture says. Love, joy, and peace. They're the way of Jesus. Amen? I mean, we, we don't disagree with this. Love, joy, and peace are the way of Jesus. So if love, joy, and peace are the way of Jesus, all three are incompatible with hurry. You can't love in a hurry. You don't have peace in a hurry. You don't have joy in a hurry. So think about this. If love, joy, and peace are the way of Jesus, and those are incompatible with hurry, and we live in a hurry culture, then a, hurry, a culture of hurry is then the Antichrist culture. Our culture is absolutely running against the way of love, peace, and joy, the way of Christ. It is the Antichrist culture. Now, I know that's not normally how we think of it, but friends, I would submit to you that being distracted, being in a hurry is much more dangerous to your soul than anything that you're going to read in a fiction book. I really believe that. So how do we do it? How do we get our lives back? Jesus says this, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, what is a yoke? Well, here are two animals. They have a yoke, right? It, it allows them to do things they couldn't do on their own. It allows them to partner with others that they you know, couldn't do alone. And this yoke is this piece of wood here, that is well-fitting. And so yokes were things that the people in Jesus' day, they knew a lot about. They used them daily. Jesus was a carpenter, right? Grew up in Joseph's carpentry shop. And so he would probably have a yoke right around him as he was teaching. He'd say, you know, my yoke is easy. Well, what we don't understand is that Jesus was a rabbi. And the rabbi spoke of the yoke of the law. It was the way they understood the law. It was the way their disciples lived. And so Jesus' yoke was Jesus' way of life. So Jesus says, if you follow me, my way of life is easy with me. Your burden is light as I carry it with you. And, and so to, to make sense of this, in another place in the Bible, in Matthew, Jesus says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. No, he has his own yoke, a way that he's going to do this. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus takes it a step further. He's going he's to explain his yoke. He says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness, your way of life with me exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And of course, everybody at that point goes, what? Jesus is saying, what? Because that was as good as it got, they thought. They said, no. In Jesus' yoke, he's going to ask us to do things greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. To live a life greater than that that can only be lived in God, only lived in the Holy Spirit. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven if you're just about the law. It has to go beyond that. It's a new yoke that Jesus has brought, a new way of living in the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus regarded his claim or yoke as more demanding and more rewarding. 
more demanding and more rewarding. And you know this. They, they knew the law. And Jesus says, hey, it, it's, don't, don't get stuck in legalism. Look at who God is. Look at the love of God. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. Friends, it's not just about murder. He says, no, I say to you that if you're even angry, right? This is, this is a new way of living. If you're even angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. If you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. It, if you back this up into angry and insult and foolishness, you never get to murder. It's a whole new way of life. So Jesus says, so when you're at the altar, when you're trying to make yourself right with God, this offering... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, Jesus says, be reconciled to your brother or sister. That's the most important thing. Forgiveness, grace, reconciliation. And then come and offer your gift. Don't pretend before God that you're not angry when you are. Go be reconciled to those with which you have a broken relationship. And here's the good news about this new way of life in Christ. It's hard to be angry when you're reconciled and rested. Have you ever woken up after a good like nine, ten hours of sleep, just angry? Probably not. Rested and angry, they don't go together. Right? Forgiveness and anger, they don't go together. So yes, Jesus is exactly right, of course, that his yoke, it's more demanding and yet more beautiful, lighter at the same time. Because what Jesus' yoke yields is a life of joy and peace and love that the law itself cannot offer. To say it a different way, the secret of happiness, friends, is really simple. It's being present in the moment, taking care of your business, getting your business done, being reconciled to those you need to be reconciled to, forgiving those you need to forgive, and asking for forgiveness from those you need forgiveness from. And so then when you're with other people, you can have a ball, you can be silly, you can just have a good time. So in a later course, um, and also in that course in 2009 that I referenced earlier, I met an Anglican priest named John Paul. And I just, I just love John Paul. He's hysterical. He uh, served the furthest, most eastern part uh, of North America and the Episcopal Anglican Church there um, in Newfoundland. And so I took another class uh, with John Paul in 2016. And there we went to uh, what what we might consider a holy site in America, um, a, a place of the Franciscans, uh, of the friars there. And so I, I'll just, I'll show you. We had a good time. We were just being silly. Uh, I was Friar Tubby and he was Friar Thumper and our other friend here, Friar Jellybean. So we just having a good time. And uh, there we were at Santa Barbara uh, at the mission there, uh, the Santa Barbara mission, just being silly, having a good time. But Friends, this sort of joy, this sort of laughter, this sort of silliness and life itself, actually life. Well, it sounds weird, but you do kind of need to plan it. You have to put it on your calendar. You have to set aside time to simply do nothing before God so that you can have fun in life. So put on your calendar days and times you plan to do nothing. And the reason I reference John Paul is because he said this, and I think he's exactly right. He said in his tradition, the goal is to be bored before the Lord. I thought that was pretty good. Because when we're bored before the Lord, all sorts of creative and wonderful things happen. We can rest in God's goodness. And so when we're actually resting and we're listening for God's voice, we, we hear God's voice and God says things to us like, like this. Hey, go on a date with your husband. Go on a date with your wife. Do something nice for your spouse. It, it's like this, hey, you know what? That thing you're working on, 
it's not that important. Go play with your kids. They're going to be out of the house before you know it. They're going to be less interested in you in not too long. They're going to start driving and have their own life. They're going to go to college or have their own families. And then where will you be? You will be wishing that you had played more with your kids. You'd had the life that God gave you. And you were too busy, too much in a hurry to enjoy it. God might say this. God says this to me quite often. Hey, don't just feed the dog. Walk the dog. He likes to walk. He likes to be with you. Go, go take him out. Go have a nice walk. And when I do that, oh my gosh, my life is different. By really simple little things like walking your dog every night before you go to bed. Playing with your kids. Having set apart time for your spouse each week. It's a life worth living. Walter Adams, who was um, a spiritual director to C.S. Lewis, he says it like this. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Never advances it. So here's our action steps, friends. Really simple. Um, and I'm, I'm praying and cheering you on about this. First of all, I want to invite you to form uh, what my coach, Bob Logan, says is your to-don't list. He says it's really pretty simple. We are all overloaded. Um, many of us, it's not that you can't have a lot to do. That's fine. But when it's too much to do, that's not okay. So here's the thing. Just ask yourself, what can I delete? There's a lot of stuff you just don't have to do at all. What can I delay? I don't have to do it today. I really could do it next week or next month. What can I delegate? You know, I don't have to take out the trash. I've got kids whose legs work. They can take out the trash. They can feed the dog. They can mow the lawn. They can do these things. Or what is something that's on my mind that I just need to get off my mind? I need to not worry about it. Not another moment, not another second. I just need to get it done. If I can get it done in five minutes or less, just do it. Just get it off your mind so that you're not in a hurry. You might still have a list, but it'll be a doable list, a shorter list. And then, friends, with all that I am, I want to encourage you to really deal with the panic of not being busy. You can do it. I promise you, you can do it. Just sit there and know that God loves you. He will take care of you. And whatever it is that you're worrying about, just write it down. Offer it as a prayer to God later and know that he hears you. He loves you. He hears the cry of his children and he is ready to meet you right where you are. So, again, take a deep breath. Put your cell phone away. Let your heart slow down. And let God take care of the world. Amen? Amen. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, slow me down until I walk with you. Then keep me there in your loving presence. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.